All right, why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. How many have your Bibles today? Have a Bible? How many have a real Bible? Not, not that an, a digital Bible is not real, but you have one that's got pages that at one time was a tree. That's awesome. It's great to see those. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We'll put scriptures up on the screens for you. But I think it's so important that we bring our Bibles to church. We follow along in our copy of God's Word. You might want to make some notes, highlight something, underline something. So um, incredible. But turn with me to Luke chapter 11. And as I've said, I'm spending the next few weeks not really in a series of messages. A lot of times I'll talk in a series. But I spend the next few weeks just talking about some things that God has put on my heart, some messages that I've been wanting to preach, and I thought this was a great time to preach them. And then at the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, let you know, I'll be starting a series called Build, and we'll be talking about, which that's one of our, that's part of our mission, believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. So it's part of our vision, part of our mission. And so we'll be talking about um, completing our new campus. So if you're new here, um, we have 49 acres on North 259. Um, we actually have a campus underway. It was paused during COVID. Uh, we're $5 million into a $10 million build. Um, so it's a new, we'll be showing, if you've never seen pictures or all that, we're going to show you all that. But we have most of the development done. Uh, the slab is poured. The steel is standing. And all of the building is actually on site. It's just not put together. Well, the windows are not out there. Um, but everything else is out there, even the doors. Uh, or the exterior doors, I should say. So the exterior of the building, all that stuff is out there. And so we're going to get back to, we got to put a bridge in. We got to pour some concrete, put some sewer line in. And uh, it's, apparently it's really important that you have operating bathrooms in church. Um, and so, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so anyway, so we've got stuff to do. So we'll get construction going again. Um, we think it's our, our elder team, all of our staff thinks it's time. So we'll be talking about that. So I need everybody really to tune in all through January and then to tune in through February um, because I, I think uh, to get, well, I know together we're going to get this done and uh, for the glory of God and for changed lives, it's going to be incredible. Amen? Amen? And so we'll be talking about that. So now Luke chapter 11 <laughs> Um, today, I want to what I want to talk to you about comes from Luke chapter eleven, and we're kicking off our twenty-one days of prayer. And so today, uh, there's some things I've wanted to talk about concerning prayer for quite some time. So I decided today would be a great day. So we're going to talk about that together. So Luke chapter eleven, verse one, it says, "Now it came to pass." I had a person tell me one time that was um, uh, their favorite verse in the Bible. It came to pass. Like, whatever it is, <laughs> it came to pass. Oh, it looks bad. It came to pass. <laughs> Anyways, and it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place. Let me just pause right here. There's two things I'd like to say. They're not in the sermon, so if I don't say them now, they won't get said, and it would be just a tragedy, right? Um, but the first thing that I would like to say is, it says, now it came to pass that Jesus was praying. I would like to ask you a question. If Jesus, being the perfect, sinless Son of God, needed to pray, amen, do you think that baby's just praying? I'm telling you, they're already responding to the message. He said, the kingdom is given to these, such as these babies, right? That's the way it was. Like if we could just have that childlike faith. I said prayer, that baby started praying. Some of y'all are still not sure what you're going to do with the message she's already started. But do you think that if Jesus, the perfect son of God, needed to pray, do you think possibly you may need to pray? Like if, if Jesus, God incarnate, did not see prayer as optional, I wonder why sometimes we see prayer as optional. Now, maybe you're sitting here like, I really don't think it's optional, but I really have a hard time praying. This actually gives you the secret of a consistent prayer life, and it comes from Jesus right here. 
Now, a lot of theologians, not 100% sure where Jesus is right now, but most people believe he was just at Bethany. He's probably in Judea, and most people believe he's actually on the Mount of Olives, which was a place he went to pray often. It says Jesus, remember, it's just a review, the perfect son of God who thought it was necessary to pray, Jesus, went to a certain place. I'm going to tell you the secret of consistent prayer. You need a certain place and a certain time. Like for, for a lot of you, I, I don't think people most, I, well, let me say it this way. I believe, let me put it in the positive. I believe most believers have a desire to pray. I believe that about you. I believe that you have a desire to pray. What we miss sometimes is the discipline. Desire should lead us to a discipline, and discipline will take you to delight. And so what I've found in my own life, that, that if I have a time, like I have a time and I have a place. Like one of the, one of the things I love about 21 Days of Prayer I know this week, I, I know when I'm praying at home and I know when I'm praying here, I know where my prayer time is going to be for the next three weeks because I have a time and a place. Monday, I'll be here. Tuesday, I'll be here. Wednesday, I'll be here. Thursday, I'll be here. Friday, I'll be at home. Saturday, I'll be here. I know. And I'm telling you the, the secret to a consistent prayer life. Listen to, listen to me. If Jesus thought prayer was so important that he had a time and a place to do it, why would you leave it to chance? Well, you know, if I get around to it or I mean to or I hope to or I want to, that's wonderful. That's desire. Now you need discipline. Set an appointment. Set an appointment with God. God and I have a standing appointment at 6 a.m. There are some mornings I'm not exactly thrilled to be up at that time with that appointment. But we have an appointment. You need a time and you need a place. Do you, do you hear me on that? So now let's continue on. You are doing great, by the way. <laughs> now it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or this version says, for we also forgive everyone indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you know Matthew 6, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever, ever. Amen. It's the same prayer, Matthew 6, Luke 11. But here his disciples come. They say, teach us to pray. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I call this message the sauce. The sauce. Can we pray together, Holy Spirit? We don't want to miss you. We want to hear from you. So help us to block out distractions and tune in and not miss a word that you would want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The sauce. How many know the sauce makes the difference? Do you believe that? How, where are my sauce people? Like I have a brother who is a sauce person. I have a son who is not a sauce person. He believes in no sauce. But for a lot of people, the sauce makes a difference. Have you ever eaten, like, I don't know if you know this, but eating in Longview, um, you have your selection when it comes to chicken. Every restaurant is a chicken restaurant. It's amazing me. And we eat a lot of chicken at our house. And sometimes my kids like variety, so sometimes they would rather have canes than slims. Or they'd rather have Chick-fil-A than canes. It's all chicken, but we vary it just to keep things interesting. But what I found is everybody has a sauce. In fact, I don't like Cane's chicken. I know I said this earlier. It offended someone. They walked out. They decided this is not a prophet. I don't like Cane's chicken. I'm just telling you, I don't think it's that good. 
right? But I can tell you what makes Cain's chicken palatable. Cain's sauce. If you really want revival, take Cain's sauce to Slim's chicken. I'm just trying to help you. Because Slim's also has a sauce, not that good. Not that good. It's really not. Now they have a cayenne ranch that will set you free. But, but that, I'm telling you. But, but, but their Slim sauce, like, eh, me. Eh. And I eat a lot of Slim's. And I'll tell you my secret. If you're on a diet, if you eat according, I eat according to proteins and carbs and fats. Slim's chicken, you can mix the grilled with the fried. So you're really good and you eat some grilled and then you get a couple fried just to live dangerously. Are you in? It's like the reward. Like I ate three grilled tenders. Now I get two fried tenders. God's moving. But I'll tell you the sauce that trumps all sauce. And in fact, things are known by their sauce. The first thing I, the first time I came to understand the sauce matters was when I had two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, tomatoes, pickles on a sesame seed bun. How many have ever met a Big Mac? Right, right. It's a Big Mac. And, and you know why it was a Big Mac? Without the special sauce, it's not a Big Mac. It's just two hamburgers put together. But you put the sauce on it. The sauce makes the difference. It changes what it is. It goes from two hamburgers stacked on top of each other to a Big Mac. Like if you like in and anybody like in and out burger, I don't get it. I think it's dumb. It's like a Big Mac missing part of the Mac. It's like a little Mac because they use a sauce that to me is similar but not as good. Just pray for me. I've just found in the in and out, I'd rather be out. You know what I'm saying? I'm not in, okay? Or I'm just out. But the sauce that trumps every sauce, come on, help me, Chick-fil-A sauce. Everybody knows the answer. What ranch was to the 90s, Chick-fil-A sauce is to the 2000s. <laughs> Somebody's like, I finally felt the spirit moving. <laughs> like ranch could go with anything. My kids will eat Chick-fil-A sauce on just about anything. Like it is, I don't know, if baby angels mix it up for them in the back. I mean, we are talking about Chick-fil-A. It's Jesus chicken. And it's highly likely that the same angels that came down and made the cake for Elijah when he was on the run are the, are the ones that come down to Chick-fil-A and stir up the sauce. I don't know. The sauce makes the difference. In Luke chapter 11, believe not, all that actually has something to do with the message. <laughs> In Luke chapter 11, <laughs> Ethel gets your purse, I'm hungry, I just want chicken. <laughs> I just want to go eat some chicken, Ethel. Um, in Luke chapter 11, the disciples, Jesus has been praying. He comes back from praying and they say, Teach us to pray. It is the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. And they saw Jesus do some wild stuff. Think about it. This is, this is about two and a half years into Jesus' ministry. And they come to him and they say, teach us to pray. They have seen blind eyes open, but they didn't say, teach us to heal the blind. They have seen lame people walk and lepers cleanse. They were there when Jesus came strolling across the lake in the middle of a storm. Yet they didn't say, teach us to walk on water. Like some of you, if you were asking Jesus to teach you something, you'd be like, the water walking's a cool thing. I could really mess with some people. Some of you be like, Jesus, teach me to do that water into wine because I'd have a lot more friends. <laughs> but out of everything they watched Jesus do in two and a half years, they said, hey, will you teach us to pray? Do you know why? Here's what I believe. I believe they saw a correlation between his private prayer and the power in his public life. 
I think they saw that there's this connection that Jesus goes away and prays and then he comes out and does wild stuff. And I think they realized prayer is the sauce. Prayer is the sauce. Prayer makes all the difference. Like without prayer, none of this other stuff's possible. Without prayer, none of these other things happen. Prayer is the sauce. What I'm, what I'm trying to tell you today as we're about to start a set period of 21 days of prayer and fasting, for everything you hope to see, for, for every bit of expectation that you have, for everything you read in the Bible and you're like, I'd like to see that or I'd like to see that or I wonder if God could do that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Prayer is the sauce. If Cain's sauce can make Cain's chicken palatable, Prayer can make your life amazing. It's the sauce. By the way, if you're from Cain's and you're listening to this, you owe us 10% of whatever you make today, okay? All the free advertising. Prayer is what makes a difference. Three things about prayer, pretty succinct points, very simple. Really just changed out a word for all three points. But number one, write this down. Prayer connects me to the person of God. Prayer connects me to the person of God. They said, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, our Father. This is really, this would have been revolutionary because they would have prayed to God. Jesus makes this pivot, if you will, and says, okay, you want me to teach you to pray? You want to see the things that you're seeing in, in my life? Then, then let me, you need to understand something. Prayer is not religious, it's relational. Effective prayer is built on relationship, not religious rhetoric. In fact, Jesus, remember when he said, when, when you pray, he said this in Matthew, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. Don't, don't just babble on vainly, just praying and praying, 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 praying. Why? Because prayer is not religious, it's relational. Wouldn't it be so strange if you had a friend that you went to lunch with, and every time you sat down with, at lunch with them, you just kind of said exactly the same thing, exactly the same way? Like you sat down, you're like, I want my spouse to do well. I want my kids to do well. I'm hoping my business does well. Or I'm hoping this happens. Or I hope I get a dream house. Or, or you know, I want to do it. And then you just get up and walk away. And then you come back the next week and sit down at lunch. I hope my spouse does well. I hope my kids do well. I hope my boss is nicer. I hope one day I get my dream house. And then you, and you come back and like, I'm so glad we came to lunch today. I hope my house does well. I hope my... How many of you know before long you'd be like, I'm not going to eat with them. I know what they're going to say. And what Jesus is saying here, he's like, listen, if you want to understand effective prayer, you need to understand effective prayer is not religious, it's relational. And I think the danger of Christendom is we start with a foundational concept that prayer is an, an, like an obligation, it's a duty, it's something that I do to appease God. And it's something that I need to do because I'm a Christian. And, and, and so we start with this and we get into these ruts of just the same rhetoric of just saying over and over the prayers that we think we're, and there's nothing wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with praying things more than once. There's nothing wrong with talking to God about the same thing over and over. But remember the opportunity of prayer is not what you can get, but who you can know. Prayer is where God's heart shapes your heart. Prayer is where the heart of God shapes the heart of man. It is a relation. It's, it's built on the foundation. He said, our, like my father, my father, not my God, my father. There's a relational aspect. Like this is, this is a relationship. Prayer is most effective when it is the expression of a relationship. <laughs> Amen. So prayer is where I get to know God. It's worth thinking about. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. Servants respond to commands. 
Like, like good soldiers, they do what they're commanded to do because they were commanded to do it. They don't think about why they were commanded to do it, right? If some of you guys that were in the military, you know this, right? When there was a roll call in the morning at 6 a.m. or whatever, you, you didn't say, well, I'm not so sure I want to go. Right? I, I don't know. Why do we need to do roll call today at 6 a.m.? I don't. In the military, you don't do that. Right? There's no question that when the sergeant says, hey, we're going to go run this way, you don't say, you know, I don't. Could you explain why we need to run that way? Right? So, so in a way, servants, they do as they're commanded. They do as they're instructed. They're not really connected necessarily to the, to the heart of it, the why of it, the motive of it. They, they just, I, I was told to pray. I pray, but there's something deeper. Jesus says, I call you friends. Friends connect to heart. They connect to motive. They connect to values. They connect to desires. And it is in prayer that the heart of God influences the heart of man beyond commands, but into something deeper where we know the heart of the one to whom we pray. And his heart shapes not only us, but shapes the prayers we pray and how we pray, that we pray with his motives, we pray with his values, we pray with his desires. Now his prayer becomes our prayer. This is effective prayer. It's built on relationships like, God, I love you so much. I want to see what you want to see. I, I want to I pray because in prayer, I connect with you. And in prayer, I get the opportunity to be influenced by you. And, and I want to pray the way you want, you, the way you want me to pray. Amen. Like it's, it's, it is re- relational. It's about his intentions. Having, listen, having his heart is vital to prayer. In um, John 14, 15, and 16, three chapters, one discourse, if you will. It's, it's the upper room talk of Jesus. Um, and <clears throat> in those three chapters, he says four times in three chapters, whatever you ask, I'll do. He says it different ways, but four different times in one conversation, He's telling his disciples, hey, don't worry. Whatever you ask, I'll do. You have to understand this is, this is God. God is saying, it is my heart to answer your prayer. But I think James give us some, gives us some context because James says in James 4 verse 3, it says, when you ask, he said, he, he's talking to believers and he's saying, when you ask, you're not receiving because you're asking with the wrong motives. So look at this. He's saying, <clears throat> Jesus is saying there's a way to pray that is effective. In fact, by the way, God is glorified through answered prayer. So God wants to answer your prayer more than you want an answer to it. But we're talking about the sauce. Well, James said motives are important if you're trying to get prayers answered. And he's saying, in fact, bad motives can be a reason for unanswered prayer or wrong motives. Let me say it another way, selfish motives. So, well, how do I get my prayers answered? Well, the, the secret, the sauce of, of answered prayer, what did Jesus tell us to pray for? My will be done on earth as in my, my will. So you understand if God is wanting to, like if he has a will, he has desire, he has things he wants to do, probably the most powerful thing I could pray is to pray he would be able to do or would do what he wants to do. To pray his will. This is why prayer is so important, because in prayer, I can learn the will of God. Um, now, <laughs> when, when, in fact, he says, anything you ask according to my will, this is 1 John 5, 14, but he says, anything you ask according to my will, 
In fact, he says, this is the confidence. That's a key word. This is the confidence that we have. And that if we ask anything according to our will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have the petitions or we have the things that we ask for. So look at this. Where does confidence come? This is the confidence we have. Where does it come from? Knowing his will. So, so the confidence that we need in prayer comes from knowing his will. This is why, like, and I've seen this in Christian before, praying something and just saying, Lord, if it's your will, is not the way he asks us to pray. I call those Hail Mary prayers. And it has nothing to do with Catholicism. It has to do with Doug Flutie. If you don't know, Doug Flutie was the one, the first quarterback to throw a Hail Mary and complete it. At least he's given credit for it. Maybe somebody else did it, but he's given credit for it. The Hail Mary is when you're losing at the end and you got one play left and you just rear back and throw it and hope your guy catches it in the end zone. Every team's tried it at this point. Some have been successful. Doug Flutie threw the first. Well, he's given credit for throwing the first. Hail Mary. But I think that's sometimes the way we pray, you know, Lord, I'd like this, 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 and this. If it be your will. Well, you didn't really pray an effective prayer because effective prayer, confidence in prayer comes from knowing his will. Here's the great thing. You can know his will. Who has known the mind of God except the spirit of God? The Bible says we have the spirit of God. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says don't be conformed by the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to prove what is the will of God. So there should be an expectation, like this is maturity in a believer. Maturity in a believer is growing in a way that I am more and more confident of God's will, not only for me, but for the world. I heard it said recently that maturity in the believer was growing more and more confident in God's will for me in the world. That maybe, maybe the mark of maturity in the believer is not learning a religious vocabulary, but a depth of relationship where I understand more the will of God for my life and the will of God for the world around me. Because confidence in prayer, think about it. When you're praying and you don't know if God wants to do it or not, how confident are you? But when you pray and you're like, I know this is what God wants to do. I think the first thing, I mean, this is why the enemy kind of wants you flying blind. This is why the enemy creates all types of questions today. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I don't want to get into Calvinism, Arminianism, but if you understand Calvinism, I'm not sure, you know, it's, uh, there's, there was this push for the reformed theology, um, what you don't understand, what blows my mind is if you study church history, Reformation came out of revival. Reformation never led to revival. It was a revival that reformed. It wasn't that refer. And now we've got intellectual people reforming things that don't need to be reformed. And, and they come to Calvinism. Calvinism is basically a predestination. There are some people that are going to be saved and some not. And God already knows. And, 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 and I'm personally, that's, if you believe that way, I'm not against that. You, you and Jesus can work that out. I'm an Arminianist for the most part, meaning that, that I believe he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, and so, so for me... I don't, I don't believe necessarily in, in all the... I believe we're all predestined according to the purposes of God. And then we make decisions um, on whether or not we're going to follow him or, or not. But, but the point is, when, when we're praying, I think sometimes the enemy brings questions like, well, maybe they're not supposed to be saved. Right? Well, it's really hard to pray for a lost person if you don't know if they're supposed to be saved or not. It's really hard to pray for healing if you're not sure if people are supposed to be healed or not. If it's really hard to pray for anything if you don't really know if that's something God will or won't respond to, has paid for, hasn't paid for, desires to do or doesn't desire to do. And so this is the first thing that happens in prayer is in prayer 
my heart is shaped by his heart, I start learning his desires and his will, and then I can pray confidently because I know what God wants to do. Are you with me? Daniel said it this way, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So intimacy is the secret of strength and intimacy is the secret of effectiveness. And prayer is the gateway or the doorway of intimacy with the Father because Jesus redefined it, if you will, kind of pivoted prayer and said, you've been praying to God, I want you to know Father. I feel like this is a good message. I'm just going to in faith believe you think it is too. Are you with me? So prayer is where I connect to the, to the person of God. Um, secondly, prayer is where I connect to the purpose of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in. What does God, what does God want? What's God's purpose? What is, what is his will? What is he, well, he wants heaven to come and influence earth. Two realms, you've heard me talk about this. I talked about it last week. I don't have time to teach it. Two realms in the Bible, the spiritual kingdom of heaven, the physical realm of earth. And so God's heart was that his spiritual kingdom come and influence earth until earth looks like heaven. It's what the whole Bible's about. It's what we're all called to. Believe it or not, we are not called to sit on our blessed assurance and wait until we die or until Jesus comes back. We're actually called to reshape earth to look like heaven. So the Bible calls us, in fact, Paul said it to the Corinthians, we are co-laborers with God. So to, just like Adam, right? What was Adam created? Adam was created so that one day God said, I'm going to create man. And my heart for man is that he'll grow old and die and then come back to me. Just so you know, that was sarcasm. That's not really, <laughs> it's not really what happened there. No, he created Adam to be a co-laborer in bringing his kingdom. He said, you take dominion over the earth. Bring my kingdom into the earth. So Adam was created not to, to, to breathe oxygen until he died. He was created to bring the kingdom of God into the earth, to co-labor. One verse says we are workers together with God, right? So here's what you need to understand. Nothing happens on earth until someone partners with God. Sovereignty has become a demonic doctrine because we have used sovereignty as an excuse to do nothing. <clears throat> it has become the case sera sera gospel. Well, whatever God wants to do, whatever God wants to do, I don't know. He's just going to do it. I don't, it doesn't matter what I do. Because God is sovereign. You know, first of all, you need to understand what sovereign means. Sovereign means he is the supreme ruler. It does not mean he is controlling. God is the most powerful yet least controlling of any person I've ever met. He will not control you. Um. In the book of Acts, by the way, Acts has more miracles and more signs and wonders and more crazy things than any book of the Bible. You know what else it has more references to than any book of the Bible? Prayer, except for the Psalms, because that's a whole, those are all basically worship and prayer. But any other book, it has more miracles and more references to prayer. Herod seizes James, and Herod puts James to death for preaching the gospel. And, and the Bible says, and when he saw how it pleased the people, he seized Peter also intending to execute him. So this is, by the way, this is what a religious, I'm sorry, a political spirit does. A political spirit will make a covenant with murder if it will get them reelected. Wasn't that special? <laughs> I will not go down that rabbit hole because Mark will get emails. I'm just saying political spirit is always controlled by the fear of man. And they'll do whatever man demands in order to stay in power. 
So James is seized and executed, and Herod says, wow, the people like that. So now I'm going to seize Peter. But then Acts says, I think it's Acts 13, but constant prayer was made by the church for Peter. And then we know that God did a jailbreak and broke Peter out of jail. Now, some people say, well, you know, it was just James' time to die. And it just wasn't Peter's. But I'd like to point to the obvious. As far as we know, no one prayed for James' release. But constant prayer was offered for Peter's release. So maybe it didn't have anything to do with God's sovereignty. Maybe it had to do with the church's lethargy. I wonder what breakthrough the church, the modern day church has missed because of prayerlessness. And I wonder if we could like come together right now. And say, let's not miss any more breakthroughs because of prayerlessness. It can't be a prayer message without the Beatles. I mean, it's got the Trinity. One and one and one is three. The Trinity. These are the jokes, people. But some of them say, well, it's, you know, it's God's sovereignty. James died. Peter was supposed to be set free. But that's not what you see. Listen, can I tell you something? The will of God is always reshaped by prayerlessness. The will of God will be reshaped by prayer. There's what God wants to do, but he can't do anything until people do something. He has given us authority and dominion over the earth, and he will not interfere. God is really good with boundaries. He will not interfere where he has given us power, dominion, and authority. But he partners with us, but we have to do something. And so here we have the church doesn't pray, and a man is put to death, and the church does pray, and God breaks him out. And what's the difference? The church prayed. God partners with us when we pray. Like when, when Jesus said, think, think how silly it would be when the disciples said, cease to pray. And Jesus said, you know, here's when we pray. My, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, here's your prayer. Now I want you to do this. Just don't expect anything to change. Like, you know, you ask for busy work and I'm giving you some busy work, but not really going to happen because ultimately God's sovereign. So it really doesn't matter if you pray or not. That's not what he said. What he's saying is, oh, great. I'm glad you asked because for heaven to come to earth, the first thing that has to happen is earth has to pray. I don't know how to seek the kingdom. Pray. I don't know what God's will for my life is. Pray. I don't know how to do what God's called me to do. Pray. It's practically the answer to everything. Man, real things are really in bad shape in my company. Pray. Yeah. Having problems in my relationship? Pray. Having problems with the kid? Pray. Don't feel good? Pray. Everything's great? Pray. Pray that it doesn't change. You have to understand that, and I know some people are like, but, but I pray and I haven't seen anything. I pray and I haven't seen anything. You got to think about it, th that sometimes when we're praying, think about this, prayer is how we reshape earth to look like heaven, and sometimes earth is obstinate. Right? L Luke 18 tells the story of an unjust judge. How many know if he's unjust, that would not be God? Because a lot of people say, this is God. It's not God. Luke 18 is not talking about getting God to move. It's talking about getting earth to move. And it says this woman came daily pleading her case. Daily pleading her case. And finally the unjust judge says, you know what? If I don't give her what she wants, she's going to wear me out. This woman, let me say it another way. She kept praying until earth changed to line up with, with the goodwill of God. 
So her prayers weren't aimed at God. They were aimed at earth. Jesus said, speak to this mountain. And say, he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard, you can speak to a mountain and say, be moved and cast into the sea. Speak to the mountain. Well, he didn't say speak to God. Come on, cheesy preacher quote. Some of you have been talking to God about your mountain. You need to be talking to your mountain about your God. <laughs> a cheesy preacher quote. Yeah, you're welcome. Right? So what we see in Luke 18 is she kept praying. And you say, well, how do I know when I'm supposed to stop praying? When something changes. There are three reasons why pray, prayers are delayed. Three reasons why prayers are delayed. Number one, opposition. In fact, sometimes when you're praying and nothing's changing, that is proof you're on the right track. Do you remember the book of Daniel where Daniel prayed and it took 21 days for the answer to show up? And when the angel gets there, he said, well, actually, I left on day number one. But I encountered some opposition. I had to get some reinforcements. Kind of led to a battle. And that's why I'm just now getting here. So here's what I said. No, God was ready to answer, but there was opposition. So sometimes we keep praying because earth is obstinate and stubborn and is not willing to be reshaped. And we have to keep bombarding heaven to let heaven keep bombarding earth to get earth to move. Sometimes God allows us to keep praying because it is the persistence in prayer that changes us. Amen. In fact, sometimes God allows us to labor in prayer because it is the, the forming of our character through the consistency and persistence of faith that actually prepares us to steward our breakthrough, whereas if he would have answered immediately, what we ask for would have actually harmed us. So God uses prayer and persistence and tenacity to develop my character so I can actually hold the answer to my prayer when I get here, when it gets here. And then sometimes it just has to do with timing. But how do I know when I can stop praying? When something changed. When I see change, I can stop praying. The way heaven comes to earth, the primary way heaven comes to earth is prayer. The secondary way is obedience. I don't have time to talk about this. Well, let me just say this. This is how you live heaven to earth. This is how you see heaven into the earth. It's through our partnership with God, we pray and we obey, right? If we pray but don't obey, it's like having a really beautiful new car with no motor. Let me say it another way. Praying without obedience is like Gethsemane without Calvary. It's a lot of preparation, but it doesn't change the world. So prayer connects to the person of God, connects to the purpose of God. And here's the last one. Remember, it's the sauce. It connects us to the power of God. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. So there's this provision and lead us not to temptation. There's this deliverance. Do you know every, every answer of God comes by his power? Salvation comes because of the power of God. Healing comes because of the power of God. Provision comes because of the power of God. And so prayer, listen, here are the disciples again, and they are watching Jesus live this powerful life, walking on water, raising the dead. I mean, Jesus never went to a funeral that he didn't completely destroy. Like parties have party poopers. He was a funeral pooper. And so they're watching this incredible life. And here's what I think they made the connection. Wow, we're seeing a connection between prayer and power. In fact, you can see it in the Bible. You can see it in every move of God that, that church history records. But you can see it on the day of Pentecost. Um, 
The day of Pentecost was one of the most powerful days that forever revolutionized the church and revolutionized ministry in Acts chapter 2. But before there's Acts chapter 2, right, there's the book of Luke and there's Acts chapter 1. And in Luke, at the ascension, Jesus says, hey, go and wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power or clothed would be another way you could say that word. Are received. In, in Acts chapter 1, he says, go and wait on the promise of the Father. What was the promise? What was a person? But that person is the executing arm of the Trinity. He houses, embodies, if you will, in spirit form, the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And so they go to Jerusalem. This is what we miss sometimes. And because chapter two says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and I know some people say, well, God, it was God's will to send Pentecost. Yes, it will. It was his will. But let's not forget that the precursor to Pentecost was a 10 day prayer meeting. 10 day days, not hours. Days. I think Bill Johnson said that before heaven invaded earth, earth invaded heaven for 10 days. That there's a connection between prayer and power. In Acts chapter 4, remember uh, James and, I'm sorry, Peter and John. Peter and John were going, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray, and there was a lame man, and he wanted money, but they're preachers, so they didn't have any money. So they said, we don't have silver or gold, but what, what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the lame man gets up, and he starts running around, dancing, jumping up and down, praising God. And, and it starts a revival, but here's what you need to understand. The first people always offended by revival are religious people. In fact, God, in revival, God will always start by offending your flesh to get to your heart. Every move of God has always been offensive to flesh, and the easiest flesh to offend is religious flesh. Well, I just don't think we should dress that way. I don't think we should look that I don't think we should say that. I don't think the, the services are too long. They're too short. We shouldn't sing that. It was too loud. The carpet's not right. The chairs aren't right. I don't think the coffee was caffeinated coffee. I think it was decaf coffee. And on and on and on, people are just offended. And so a man, a lame man, gets up and starts running around, starts a revival, and the religious people get offended, so they arrest Peter and John. Not, hey, y'all ought to keep doing that thing you did there. You know that lame man? How you, you healed him and he got up and ran around. Y'all ought to do that some more. No, no, y'all need to stop this. Listen. This song is not in the hymn book. I laugh sometimes when things happen in church and people say, well, this, that's not in the Bible. And I, I, we don't want foolishness, hype, emotional, crazy. I mean, but you should, if you can get emotional over a Cowboys game, that doesn't even matter. And you're like, well, the church is no place for emotion. Well, well where is? I'm not saying we should act silly. I'm just saying like we should be alive. I got to finish this. Anyways, the point is, The point is that, that this man is running around and, and the religious people are offended, so they arrest Peter and John and then eventually let them go. And Peter and John go back. They join the other disciples. They're in a room again. And they're really fearful, honestly. And it said, they didn't know. I'm going to read into the text. They weren't real sure what to do, so they said, let's pray. Because that's what you see them do. They're concerned. They're, they, but all of a sudden, we stand up and say, let's pray. And they prayed, and the place where they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled again, you could say again, with the Holy Spirit. And here again is another picture, two times in four chapters, of a connection between prayer and power. I think sometimes, well, I'd say this, we're as powerful as we are prayerful. 
Because the sauce that we're talking about today is this connection between prayer and power. Um, Let me say one more thing. Most of the time we are trained to pray by problems. Now, let me just say something. That's not bad. I would say that is the training wheels of prayer. I'm going to say something and you're not going to like it, but it's going to be hard to disprove it. Unfortunately, because some people never graduate from the training wheels of prayer, meaning they only pray when they have problems, God allows you to continue to have problems because it's the only way he can get you to pray. Merry Christmas. And he loves you so much, he'll let you have problems because if there weren't problems, you wouldn't connect to him at all. In fact, a lot of times, this is how people get back to church. Well, we've been out for a while. We've really been having some problems. You think? Hmm. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) And all the staff's like... That's amazing, really? So you laid out a church and stopped praying and you you started having problems. Wow, we've never heard of that before. Usually that's a recipe for success. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyways, the point is, problems many times are the training wheels of prayer. And you should never feel bad about praying about your problems. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, when you have a problem, again, prayer should be your first line of defense, not your, not your last resort. Really, we should say it this way. Prayer should become your first line of offense, not your last line of, last line of defense. I like that better. I'm going to take credit for it. You want to see that coming to Instagram soon. <laughs> Anyways. So prayer, the problems are the training wheels of prayer. But um, we have to graduate from that. In, in Matthew chapter 9, Luke, I'm not, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, Peter, James, John, and Jesus are on the Mount of Transfiguration, and a dad brings a son who is demonized, and the disciples are unable to deliver him. And at this point, they had had success delivering in deliverance ministry. They'd been sent out, and they came back and said, Wow, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they had had success with it. They were most successful. But all of a sudden, they encounter this dad and his son, and they're not able to get him free. And then Jesus shows up and there's a commotion. What's the problem? Well, I came to your disciples. They're not able to help him. Could you do anything? And Jesus says, well, if you can believe, all things are possible to them that believe. And Jesus delivers the boy. And then the disciples pull him aside after it's over. Like you talk about relational prayer versus religious prayer. When when they didn't see what they knew was the will of God, they didn't get... I should say it. I want to be careful how I say this. They didn't become bitter. They didn't let that disappointment lead to bitterness. They let that disappointment lead them back to the relationship they had confidence in. And they said, help us with this. Right? They didn't decide, well, this is no longer the will of God, or I'm not going to pray this, or I'm not going to do this, or whatever. No, no, no. They said, well, it didn't work. I'm going to go back to this relationship I have confidence in, and I'm going to say, God, help me with this. And, and, and Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. But if you'll recall, he didn't pray or fast. The reason is, and I think this is why they asked Jesus about prayer, Jesus did not pray reactionary. He didn't pray in reaction to problems. His prayer life was proactive based on being ready with a solution before there was a problem. So he prayed proactively and not reactively. If there is any shift in maturity that I think we should strive for, is to get to a place that we are praying proactively, that that our prayer life doesn't change in intensity or investment or time when things are well versus when they're not. 
In fact, if we were to get to a place of consistent prayer, even when things weren't going bad, we might find things don't go as bad as often. And so Jesus prayed and fasted into a lifestyle of power, into a lifestyle of answers, into a lifestyle of victory, so that when he encountered something, he was prayed up and ready for it. Are you with me? And that to me is what I would love to see from us, from our church. We're starting today 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now I realize probably everybody in here has problems. I've found many of us have problems. Some people are facing very, very difficult things. I certainly understand that. Never, we want to pray about our problems. What I want to do is get out ahead. I want to start seeing answers. I want to start seeing solutions and I want us to pray. And the more solutions we see, I want us to keep praying. And when we don't have any problems, if that ever happens, I just want us to be praying all the more. I want us to get into a lifestyle of prayer and fasting to see his kingdom come and his will be done. I want us connected to the person of God, connected to the purpose of God, but also connected to the power of God. I have this testimony was sent by Clay. Um, Said on, on, and I wanted to share this because as we pressed into prayer in the fall, we started seeing God move in ways we'd never seen God move. And we've seen so many miracles, healings, bones come back to life, backs healed, nerve damage, even things, PSD, depression, anxiety, um, as well as physical ailments, heart conditions, all those things. And, and we're trying to keep up with all of those. But this one was really cool because it says, on July 24th, I went to the ER with a persistent cough. One procedure they did was a CT scan in my chest. The scan showed, and I won't say any of this right, but subplural honeycombing in the middle medial aspects of my lungs. The doctor told me this is something I need to follow up with my general practitioner. So in August, I went to see my practitioner. Things weren't better. He ordered another CT scan, which showed again honeycombing that was found at the ER. He ordered another CT scan of my, of my chest, which came back worse than the first. So I was referred to a pulmonologist. Pulmonologist scheduled a third CT scan to be done approximately two months after the previous one. During this time, not only did I feel the Lord touch touched me while Pastor Marty and my group of brothers prayed at a revival night, but there were also other times in between the CAT scans that I know God touched me. I finally had the third scan the pulmonologist ordered on December 3rd. Three days later, we went in to get the results, and as expected, the, the scan showed no evidence of honeycombing fibrosis. And he put this, he said, can honeycombing fibrosis be cured? It causes lung scarring, tissue scarring. It thickens over time, making it harder to breathe. And it says this, no cure exists. Except the name that's above every name. Except the name that's above every name. I want you to stand. What I'm praying for and what I'm believing for is more testimonies and more stories and stories of salvation and deliverance, stories of peace, stories of joy. I'm believing God to do incredible things, but I'm telling you, you've got to see the, you've got to see the connection. You've got to see where the sauce is. And the sauce is prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them one thing, and that was teach us to pray. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and we're going to have prayer today for anyone who needs prayer. I would encourage you, if you need prayer, please don't leave without prayer. But anyone who needs prayer, we want to pray. And if you need healing or if you need peace or whatever it may be, you have a situation you're facing, something in your business, I don't know, we want to pray for you. But also, if you need a relationship with Jesus, and right now you know if you have a relationship with Jesus or not. I'm not asking if you've ever been to church or if you're in church today or if you've ever you know, prayed a prayer even. I'm talking about right now, if you were to say, God, how's our relationship? And you're concerned, he might say, well, it's really not that good. 
then maybe you need to come and rededicate your heart and say, God, I want a real relationship with you. I want to be close to you. I want to know you. That's what I'm talking about, where we lay our life down and truly seek after him. We want to pray for you if that's you. We want to pray for anyone who has a prayer need. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I just pray right now, God, that you would, if you haven't already, speak to all of us, God, about, about the fast and about what we need to give up and also about a prayer focus and which, which one we need to take today and pray over faithfully for the next 21 days. And understand, you may ask us to take something that we wouldn't initially take because you're wanting to form in us a heart, part of your heart or a burden, God, that maybe we've never carried before. And so, God, we, we just ask, God, would you speak to all of us about what we need to give up and the prayer focus, God, that we need to pray over? God, I pray today if there's anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, God, that you would draw them. And, God, the day they would make the day of surrender. They wouldn't leave here saying, oh, I'll get to it or hopefully to get better or oh, I went to church with Grandma. But they would evaluate today whether they really have a relationship with you. And if they don't, they would make today the day of their salvation. Say, you know what? Today I'm going to choose a relationship with Jesus. They would come forward and God, we would pray with them and God, you would forever change their life. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, because you want to change the world and you just need some people to partner with. God, today we say, let us be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise today? And, and then if you need prayer, we want you to come. Please come if you need prayer. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you so much. Go and uh, we'll see you this week at prayer or next weekend. God bless you.